Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2 This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Most of the countries in Eastern Europe claim with varying degrees of biblical and historical evidence to have been evangelized by the first generation of disciples and apostles in the years immediately following the day of Pentecost. While Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, and Philip were said to have traveled north and west from Antioch to Rome and beyond, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James Alpheus all purportedly traveled north and east. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was said to have ministered in Scythia, northwest of the Black Sea, and then later to have planted churches in Epirus on the northern coast of the Ionian Sea. His most notable disciple was Stachys, and while the historical records are sketchy at best, legends trace their travels together along the Dnieper and up the Danube as far as the Budapest settlement. Thus, within a generation of Christ's resurrection, the gospel was preached and churches were planted in the lands that we today know of as Albania, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Montenegro, Macedonia, Serbia, Slovenia, Slovakia, and Bulgaria. These lands all lay on the frontier, along the furthest reach of the Roman Imperium on the Eurasian land bridge. They were continually buffeted by waves of barbarian invasions from across the Russian steppes, just beyond the Roman defensive borders, the jostling, skirmishing, and vexing tribes vied for resources and footholds. At one time or another, the Celts, Goths, Lombards, Huns, Visigoths, Burgundians, Franks, Ostrogoths, Vandals, Tartars, Mongols, Turks, Parthians, Scythians, Bulgars, Magars, Samaritans, uh, the Croats, and finally the Slavs, all crossed the Eastern European land bridge. Most only passed through as they journeyed further west. Some overran the region only to retreat to the Asian highlands from whence they came. A few, however, settled there, adding richer diversity to the already variegated cultural landscape. Historical benchmarks beyond the borders of the empire remain murky and uncertain despite the rigorous investigations of our most scrupulous historians. According to Fitzroy Maclean, the early history of Eastern Europe, like that of most lands, is confused and obscure. For years, the vast plain that is now European Russia 
was the stamping ground of a kaleidoscopic collection of tribes who, owing to their own nomadic and aggressive tendencies and the absence of natural barriers, overran each other and were in turn overrun in a constantly shifting pattern of races and, for want of a better word, civilizations. According to various legends, Christianity first came to the land of Ukraine sometime near the end of the first century when Ignatius of Antioch ministered there. But it is not until the 8th century that we have historical verification of a thriving Christian quarter in the city of Kiev. According to the court chronicler Nestor, the magnificent church of St. Elias was already a venerable landmark in the city by the end of the 9th century. In 945, Igor, the Norse prince and ruler of the Kievan Rus, was killed in battle. His son and heir, Saveatoslav, was just three years old. So Igor's widow, Olga, served as regent until her son came of age. According to an account by the chronicler Nestor, she was clever and regal even before becoming a Christian, but she initially used her cleverness and regal bearing to exact cruel and unexpected vengeance upon her enemies. When she first learned about Christianity is unknown, it is almost certain that there were several believers in her husband's retinue and could have learned of it from them, yet obviously she did not make her profession of faith known until her husband was several years dead. Trade between Constantinople and Kiev was already a vital strategic partnership for the Kievan Rus, and so in 955, Olga traveled to the Byzantine capital in a diplomatic and commercial mission. And while in the city, she witnessed firsthand the beauty of Christian culture, Christian prosperity, and Christian worship. In short order, she was converted and baptized by the patriarch Politius. Uh, the emperor Constantine, uh, impressed by her beauty, her wit, her intelligence, sought to woo her, but she rebuffed his romantic advances, determined to return home to Kiev, With the reluctant blessing of both the patriarch and the emperor, she did so. For the rest of her life, Olga devoted herself to the evangelization of her beloved land. She sent embassies to both the Byzantine and the Holy Roman emperors, asking them to send scholars, pastors, and missionaries, which uh, they both did. From Novorogod and Smolensk in the north to Kiev and Crimea in the south, she sponsored churches and endowed schools, she established hospitals and orphanages, and she raised her son in the faith, though he was never baptized. Even so, the official cult of the pagan idol Perun remained an unquestioned feature of Kievan Rus' culture 
at her death, the kingdom was not yet Christianized, but she had laid all the essential foundations for a Christian culture, and thus, she had ensured that one day soon it would be when her grandson, Vladimir the Great, made Ukraine the first Christian kingdom of the East. Olga was, according to Vladimir's court chronicler, the dawning light that heralds the sun. In a barbaric land, in a barbaric age, she became the embodiment of resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net.